Victor Wembanyama just had his breakout game on the second night of a back-to-back -back against the Phoenix Suns with 38 points. Is he already the Rookie of the Year? We're going to break that down. We're going to be talking about him, Chet Holmgren, Scoot Henderson. Why Scoot Henderson has been so, so bad? We're also going to make our picks for the NBA in-season tournament. Let's get into foul trouble. Patrick, we are here. Now, guys, I know most of you are watching on video with this podcast, so sorry for the audio listeners, but we are virtual today because Patrick is a little under the weather. You know how it is. In LA, right now, a little bug's going around, but that's not going to stop us from talking about the Wemban mania that just swept through my home state of Arizona. I, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Yeah, so Am this... I going to have another 20 years of pain by... By the hands of Greg Popovich and the Spurs? I feel like, you know, time is a flat circle. You know, it's another NBA basketball game where the Spurs, led by a legendary big man, just beat the Suns in heartbreaking fashion. That's kind of par for the course for these two franchises, right? I feel I feel like I'm a child, once again, just watching Tim Duncan absolutely <laughs> destroy us. I So, um, if you missed it, Victor Wambanyama just led the Spurs to a victory over the Phoenix Suns, and he tallied 38 points and rebounds and two blocks in his fifth game as a 19-year-old basketball player. And at times, honestly, the Suns looked absolutely helpless trying to guard him. There was just a period of the game where the Spurs realized, like, hey, if he's just got his hand up by the basket and we just throw him the ball, it's probably going to go into the hoop. Um... So it's really funny because originally Patrick and I, when we were, you know, planning this podcast, we were kind of like, okay, Chet versus Wemby, Rookie of the Year race, what does it look like? Coming into today, Wemby and Chet are only separated by 0.5 points, 0.3 rebounds, 0.7 assists. Basically, they're within one in every single st statistic other than shooting percentages. Chet had him beat coming into today. But after today, because the sample sizes are so small, obviously we're being a little overreactive to week one in a way, but... I mean, Wemby's kind of announced, like, hey, I'm going to win Rookie of the Year. And this performance, I don't think we can overstress how unique and just purely dominant that it really was. I did a little research, and only two other 18- or 19-year-olds in NBA history have ever hit the milestones of at least 38 points, at least two blocks, and at least 10 rebounds in a game. Je James? Can you guess who those two players are? So it's the 38 points, 10 rebounds, and you said the two what? Two blocks? Two blocks in a game as a teenager. I'm going to guess Anthony Davis? Not Anthony Davis. These two teenager. players are active, though. Oh, so it's not like an Andrew Bynum. Okay, is it, a Le is it LeBron James? It is LeBron James. Okay. LeBron James scored 38 points, had three blocks and 10 rebounds in 2004 against this same very <laughs> Phoenix Suns team. Um, did this other player do it against the Suns too? He did not do it against the Suns. He actually did it against the Warriors. Um, oh, well, as a teenager, as a teenager, I don't know. Dwight Howard? Not Dwight Howard. Who is not it? Not Dwight Howard. It's... Someone who is playing in that game tonight, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, for okay. Yeah, for the Seattle Supersonics, he dropped 42, two blocks, and 13 rebounds against the Warriors. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, these are two of the maybe top 10 players of all time, and that's who Wemby is 
putting himself with right now. Yeah, that that is absolutely insane. So again, we were really going to structure this podcast as kind of a comparing and contrast between Chet and Wemby. At this point, it seems like kind of a fool's errand. Um, so I guess let's just continue with Wemby. I mean, one thing that really stood out to me from the game, this is just a weird observation, and uh, tell me if this is out of pocket. Is Greg Popovich having his own version of the 2021-2022 New England Patriots, where he's hiring all these assistant coaches who have no business coaching? Because this Jeremy Sohan point guard experiment, it needs to end. So during the game, I was texting Patrick about this, that basically all the Sohan-Wemby lineups are, are bad. They're just bad. They're getting outscored. The defense isn't good. The offense is pitiful. And all the Trey Jones-Wemby lineups are doing absolutely amazing. So, Patrick, in this game, do you want to guess what Jeremy Sohan's plus-minus was? <laughs> Ooh. Um, I mean, they were leading by, like, 27 points at times in this game. I don't – I mean, I if if you didn't ask me that question with that intonation, I would guess, like, plus 11. So, most of the Spurs starters were around that. Um, he managed to be a zero. No way. Yes, he That's was zero. Insane. And Trey Jones was plus 19. So I think the thing with Wemby, and you saw it in this game a lot, is when it's that Sohan lineup. Because even in that first quarter, the Spurs go up really, really big. But it's not a lot of Wemby involvement, right? Wemby's more involved later in the game. Like, Sohan's not making these kind of high point passes that Trey Jones making. He's not pushing the pace. He's not as fast. I I didn't watch a ton of Spurs last year. But I, I don't, man, do you, what do you, what do you think of the Sohan-Wemby experiment? You know, I, I think that it's a player that they invested a lot of, like, asset value into. And it's worth trying it out, especially at the point that they are at in the season. Um, like, hypothetically, it's a really cool fit. You've got a super jumbo guard. You've got, like, Wemby's not even playing center. So you can just play giant all the way across the floor. But, I I mean... Anybody watching can see that this Spurs team really, really hums when Trey Jones is on the floor. I mean, he plays with such speed, and you can see, like, I feel like Wemby is constantly pointing up because he's constantly telling people, like, just throw it up there. I'll get it. Nobody's coming even close to this. And to your point, Sohan is just not there with um his passing ability and trey jones is so it's it's a tough thing to it's a tough line to walk on whether it's worth like going down this road and and grooming sohan as a point guard i i honestly think it it would behoove them to play all three of them together because I mean, I think Sohan's chops on the defensive side are are really, really work and make sense with Wemby. Um, but I mean, that that's just that's just how I feel. Yeah. So I don't remember the exact number, but according to Cleaning the Glass, the Spurs, when it's just Wemby and Trey Jones and any other three people on the court, are outscoring teams by around like thirty points per hundred possessions. Um, obviously, this is a small sample size, but game five into the season, which doesn't include that is just a continuation of that. So it is kind of crazy. Like Wemby really scales up with these like better passers. And it's like, 
it's crazy because we're really seeing the worst version of Wemby, which is already one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, we haven't even talked about the defense. I mean, he's completely changing the geometry of the court. Like, the Suns, especially in the first quarter, just like it looked like they were just miffed to even try to take shots near him in the paint. In the very first, like, drive of the game for Devin Booker, he went right down um, the center of the lane and got sent back by Wemby. And from that point on, I think they, the Suns barely even challenged him, especially in the first half. And I that's a, a trend I've seen in a lot of these early Spurs games is people don't want to be put on ESPN. Because they know anything that they do with Wemby involved is going to put their face right on. They're going to be trending on Twitter. They're going to be on the not top or their top 10 plays. And I mean, that's just classic like NBA ego right there. But that's not going away. Yeah, I think it's it's. There's also though there is also the other guys though like you know I've, we've seen it a couple times Durant's gotten away with it he's hit some tough shots over Wimby in these two games but like some guys are also kind of like all right well I'm gonna take it at him and see what he's got too which has yeah, been fun I feel like they they take their Kiara Bates Diop had quite the up and under with the with the hoop protecting him um, but it, it has not went that well for a lot of the other players but I think we're shortchanging chet a little bit because as absolutely game-changing and unbelievable as Wemby has been i would argue chet has been equally something that we have absolutely never seen ever before That's this true. guy is this guy's averaging he, he's shooting like 56 percent from the field he is shooting i mean or no, he's shooting 59% from the field. Right now, he's shooting 52%, but let that regress 12 points to 40%. It's still absolutely insane. He's shooting the 52 from three, you mean? Yeah, he's shooting yeah, from 52 three. from three and 59% from the field. And and he's one of the best rim protectors in the league right now. Um, and I looked at some um, filters. <clears throat> I was trying to find like, What's a guy that has shot 50% from the field, 40% from three, and averaged two blocks? Two names came up on that list. Hakeem Olajuwon and Kevin McHale. Well, before, neither, before we do the uh, season-long averages, we are, I think the sample size for Chet is what? Is it five games right now? It's five games, but I, I brought all of those, those benchmarks way down from what they are right now and these guys aren't weren't even shooting threes like i'm just saying that the archetype of a center who can shoot as well as he does and actually stretch the floor is something that we haven't seen before yeah no that's when i so i watched a couple games of the thunder to kind of prepare for this podcast and like Chet's shooting, it's real. I mean, I, obviously, he's not going to sustain 52% from three for the no, whole year. No, no, I kind of no. even doubt he'll stay at, like, 40. That'd be really, really, really impressive for a, a rookie big man. But if he's, like, a 37 38% three-point shooter, like, that's legitimate spacing from your 4-5 spot. His first step is, like, deceptively fast. I mean, against, like, Jokic, he's just blowing right by Jokic. And you're like, all right, a lot of guys can blow by Jokic, but they play the Cavaliers, and there's one possession where he's in the corner against Evan Mobley, and he completely catches Mobley off guard with his first step and is able to get to the rim and draw a foul to get free throws. Like, offensively, he's really, really dynamic, and I think 
just to tag on to the greater rookie of the year race, the reason why I feel like he really doesn't have a chance versus Wemby is one, the whole, you know, national media fixating on Wemby so much, but also just he's not going to get the same amount of touches that Wemby is. He's playing on a team with Shea, Giddy, Lou Dort's not this offensive dynamo, but he likes to get his shots up as well. I mean, Chet's on it, and also J Dub is also going to get a lot of shots up. So a lot of these possessions aren't really Chet centric. Um, one thing I was blown away with Chet, man, is like, his defensive rebounding instincts are amazing. Like the moment the ball is like hitting that cylinder, he is locked on to whoever's, you know, whoever he was guarding. He's boxing out every single possession. He's also a good high point rebounder when he's not in a box out situation. Like his commitment to boxing out every single possession, like he is going to be one of these players where even if his individual rebounding numbers, maybe he's never averaging like 13, 14, like a Steven Adams, but I'm sure when he's on the court, the Thunder's team rebounding numbers are going to be crazy. Oh, absolutely. He just, there is such a huge, like, give a shit factor. Yes. To Chet. Like, he cares every and, and possession. And Wemby. Yeah. He, they, they both really care and they both really grind. And I mean, the thing that makes them special is, is how they run the floor is absolute. Like, I've never seen almost anybody of that size do it. But, um, to what you're saying, I, I think you're, you're totally right. And what, what really separates Wemby and um, Chet in this um, in this Rookie of the Year conversation is what these teams are asking of these guys. Chet's role is so simplified, and he's doing it perfectly. He's protecting the rim, and he's stretching the floor and attacking closeouts, whereas Wemby is like, he's got a 30% usage rate right now for a 7'5", 19-year-old. Like, what? Yeah, that's, that's like that's, there's no. Yeah, I mean, Chet, Chet's obviously a lot more polished too. He is two years older than Wimby. Um, not that that matters in the rookie of the year race, but um, I know we're gushing over these guys. One more thing I wanted to talk about with Chet that I'm just like loving is defensively, like, there's still a lot of guys who just want to go right at him. And with some of the more skilled scorers, like Donovan Mitchell, who are a little bit more crafty. It's working, but with most NBA players, man, they're going at Chet, and Chet is just has this unreal Roy Hibbert-like ability to just stay perfectly <laughs> straight, and he's blocking a lot of shots without, like, actually... It doesn't even look like he's actually trying to block the shots. It looks like he's just going for a nice, like, straight-up contest, and it's still resulting in a block a lot of the time, so it's, it's kind of crazy to see with his defense, but do you want to maybe talk about an area both of these guys could improve in, too, or no? Uh, I mean, like we're obviously like gushing and, and it's so early. It, it's funny that you, you bring up the percentage that these guys are blocking. Do you see the overall NBA block percentage leaderboards? Top three is Triple J, one, Chet, two, Wemby, three. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually crazy because obviously we start off the top with Wemby, but Chet is averaging as of right now. 0.3 rebound or 0.3 blocks per game more than Wemby is. <laughs> but I think a lot of exactly. that though is Wemby is deterring so many shots from going up, whereas Chet, because of his thin frame, guys are way more willing to challenge him. Totally, totally. Yeah, as far as improvement, the number one thing that I'd like to see Wemby improve at is just his fouling. He he's been in foul trouble in a in a couple of his games so far, and then um turnovers. Yeah, one the, thing with Wemby, too, it's it's really funny. I was having flashbacks to this. So, Patrick, when I was a freshman in college, I uh, I did some writing for a Raptors, like, you know, Raptors team blog. So I was watching a lot of, like, there we early go. DeRozan, um, like, 
uh, Jonas Valanciunas Raptors, and I always every oh, game yeah. would write Jonas Valanciunas. Terrence keeps, Ross. I just every game I'd leave a note that was like Jonas Valanciunas continues to post up ten feet away from the block instead of taking like five steps in. And Wemby kind of has that where I'm like, dude, you could post up closer to the hoop. But it seems like when Trey Jones is in the game, he's like, I'll just stand under the rim and put my finger in the air. But there was one possession that stuck out to me. He actually did score on this, but he gets the ball against Eric Gordon, who's, you know, 6'4", very short for a guard. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just turns, doesn't attempt to do anything. He just turns, faces up, and shoots a mid-range. And I'm like, "Ah, Wemby, maybe like one pound dribble, something, man. Just try. You know what I mean? I know when you shoot over Eric Gordon, there's no contest. But it's like, I want to see you do a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... Hey, he could have easily snatched Eric Gordon's soul right there. Like, you're telling me he was close enough to the hoop that I think if he really wanted it, he could have just, like, monstered him. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that might be a lot to ask. But um, yeah, it's- for Eric Gordon's sake, I'm glad he didn't. Yeah, and then on Chet's side, I will say the body, the thin frame, the strength, it is a real issue. Like, at the moment, Chet is almost incapable of setting a screen at an NBA level. Yeah, yeah. Like, guys just kind of walk through his screens. Like, the Thunder don't really have any real screen and roll game with him. Like, a lot of the times it seems like their pick and rolls are successful is because teams are so afraid of Shea and not because we're getting, like, these great screens being set. I think one thing that's, like, it's really tough, and obviously, like, a game against Jokic is not a barometer for how good someone is, but, like, Jokic is just moving him around without trying. Like Donovan Mitchell is driving into his lower body to be able to get the shot up because Chet just cannot absorb contact. He's just so wiry thin. And I'm not like an expert on body development, but like, man, he's going to have to put weight on. Yeah. And and you you think as he gets older, there's just going to be some of that, that man thickness that, that catches on to him. But um, yeah, it's definitely a concern. And I mean, can you imagine what the OKC offense would be like if they had like a real like hard nosed screen setter? Because I mean, hell, SGA was leading the league in in drives to the rim last year, and he had like a small forward playing center. Yeah, for no, the the amount of space that Chet is giving their offense is absolutely insane. I know we just talked about like, oh, I don't think he can set screens at an NBA level, but Chet is by far a massive positive for the Thunder offense. Like you can see it in every one of their games. Yeah, even though he's slipping those screens, the the fact that he's such a shooting threat yeah. makes it like uh, effective in it in its own right, but but still, the, every once in a while you're going to want like a a bone crushing screen. And when this draft started, obviously, it was never a debate who was going to go number one. The debate was who's going to go number two between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. We're not talking about Brandon Miller today, but I do want to give him a quick shout out. Brandon Miller's at 15.5 points per game, two assists, about six rebounds. He's shooting about 42% from three on about five attempts per game. So Brandon Miller has been a very good player thus far for the Charlotte Hornets. He's showing a lot of promise. I think, like, he's what they wanted, a dynamic wing who's going to grow into a dynamic scorer. At the moment, he's still not too great from the two-point, you know, beneath the three-point, but it's not abysmal. Um, we're going to talk about him more on future podcasts, but right now we're going to be Mitch talking about... Check is so happy that <laughs> yeah. we're not talking about him right now. Yeah, we are going to be talking about Scoot Henderson and just why has Scoot been so bad? So, Patrick, I ask you, obviously, we watched one of his games in person. What is your... What are you saying with Scoot? You know, I mean, like... 
obviously it's it's tough with a young guard in the NBA. And I think coming into this season, we all saw all of the Ignite stuff and we saw him in summer league and we saw just like this real alpha male that played with a, a lot of confidence and very downhill to the basket. And we really haven't seen any of that thus far. And watching back some of the games actually made me feel a little bit better. I think I test he, he's been a little bit better than what the, the stats have shown. But I, I just think Scoot's playing with a lot of tentativeness. And, and um, you know, he's not... He's not making those quick 0.5 decisions that you need from a guard like that. Yeah, I I think that's the big thing more than anything. Like he's shooting 9.5% from three as of today, which is awful. Also, is that 40 bad? Per, that's bad. Well, here's a stat that's going to make that even worse, Patrick. 40% of those three-pointers are considered wide open by the NBA's tracking data. Mm -hmm. Six feet or more with the def nearest defender. But yeah, timidness is like by far the biggest issue. And I think there's one play that really exemplified this in the Sixers game is DeAndre Ayton sets a really good screen on Maxi, and Scoot's able to get like five feet of separation between Maxi and Bede's in a drop coverage. So it's basically like the perfect, like you can hit DA on the pocket pass. If DA rolls, you can kind of go to the hoop yourself. You can maybe pull up for a mid range. Obviously that's not his game, but it's kind of the perfect setup for the pick and roll. And he doesn't even look to turn the corner, despite having no one within like five feet of him. He just immediately kicks it out to like Jeremy Grant on the wing. And it's one of those things where it's like with two years of G League experience, I'm kind of expecting him to take like two left hand dribbles, you know, get closer to the paint, probe around a little bit, you know, like a more experienced guard might given his experience. He's just he just seems so afraid to take the the keys on offense. And I think there is a big coaching issue because like a lot of possessions, they just have him parked in either the left wing or the left corner. And he's just sitting watching like either, you know, Jeremy Grant isolate or he's watching Malcolm Brogdon run some sort of strange like pick and roll. I don't know. It seems like he's not involved. And I don't, I, I kind of hate with NBA players when it's like, you got to let player A be player A. Cause I'm like, well, if they can't adapt, like how, how good really are they on a championship level team? Right. You know, but I just feel like they're not letting Scoot be Scoot. But Scoot yeah, isn't letting no, himself be Scoot. Not. He's not attacking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I really agree with you. I and, and he's not playing well next to guards at all. Like when him and Brogdon are sharing the floor, they have a 98% offensive rating, or, which is absolutely abysmal. Well, he's not, not even cutting off the him. ball. Yeah, he's not he's cutting not off cutting the ball. He's a non-shooting threat. He's he's he is useless, but he's useless on the ball too because he again when he gets opportunities to maybe probe and create for others, he's not even really taking it. Yeah, I would I would love to see them really make an asserted effort to get him going in transition, like maybe some like Stephen Adams throwback Stephen Adams style box outs from Da where. He can just take the ball and go because I think when he gets ahead of steam, a couple times I watched. Oh, who are they playing in that game? Um, they were playing the Raptors. A couple times when he got ahead of steam, he brought it to the hoop and he looked like the scoot that I expected to come out at the start of this year. Yeah, um, actually, like the first possession against the Sixers, um, 
he had a really nice like fast break crossover and finish in the open court. And I was like, wow, really aggressive off the jump. Like this is kind of what I want to see. But then obviously the rest of the game, not, not, not any more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's not really getting on the boards. The other thing is his, his turnovers are like a They're real, bad. real problem. He's tied for the fourth most turnovers in the NBA right now. And, and he's not playing a ton of minutes either. So one thing I noticed about him, and this is a really weird note, I, he's, I feel like he's really oddly focused on whatever his task is in at hand. Because one thing I noted watching him is like, and this all is going to tie together. This is all very strange observation I've never seen with another NBA player. But like, he doesn't seem comfortable beating guys off the dribble unless it's with speed. So like when he's being guarded by like a Tyrese Maxey, because Maxi is so shifty and fast, like he's giving Scoot a lot of problems. But in the Magic game I watched, like he's very comfortable taking Franz Wagner off the dribble because he can beat him with speed. He doesn't seem like, even despite his frame and his strength, he's comfortable beating guys using his strength. And I thought it was really weird. What I noticed is like when he's locked in, so in that Magic game, it's like kind of crunch time. You know, the Magic have a, you know, six seven point lead like Paulo Bancaro is posting him up and Scoot is really holding his ground like he is really he is that strong he's holding his ground but I noticed like he's oddly unprepared for the chaotic nature of basketball's physicality like sometimes when guys are just kind of running around and bump into him he just gets like dislodged so I don't know if it's like just crazy tunnel vision on whatever his task is in at hand but like he seems like oddly unprepared for the like chaotic nature of the sport yeah, yeah, I I noticed um in that same Raptors game that I was watching, there was one um defensive sequence where he found himself underneath the basket at the end of the of the sequence and he boxed out I, I think it was Scotty Barnes for a rebound and he used his physicality really well. Um to your point, like it's it's very selective where he uses it. But to be honest, like, and this kind of gets back to where I, I started with this. If the problem five games in is that he's a little self-conscious, he's a little, he's not like sure how to use his strength yet. That's a problem that I'm okay with. I think one thing, and now I don't know if I'm just like, if it's just because I just watched LeBron James turn back the clocks a hundred years and I'm just like, and I've been watching a lot of like Tyrese Maxey, but do you feel like he's not as fast as advertised? Like he is fast, but it's I, like, he, it's like 90 percentile and not like 96 percentile speed. I, I did have that thought when I was watching and I don't know if, cause there's, there's flashes yeah. where it's there, you know? And I don't know if it's like, because of the team that he's on that it's like vibes definitely don't seem amazing at the Portland trailblazers HQ. But, um, cause I feel like one thing, like you kind of going back to this, like tunnel vision point, me and you are kind of having is like, just those, all these possessions that Jeremy grants isoing and falling on the ground and chucking up horrible shots. Like, I feel like a big selling point with scoot was like his give a shitness. And it just seems he's so locked in on like, okay, I got to guard my guy in transition. He doesn't even always look like, I don't know. I'm not seeing like the like, what are we doing kind of on his face. He definitely doesn't seem like he's having fun. No, he just seems very like, oh my God, my guy is running up the court in transition. I have to guard him. Like he is an attentive defender, 
but it just seems like he's kind of getting lost in his responsibilities and maybe not taking in the whole... I don't know. It seems... It's odd watching him. Like, it's weird if you'll watch, like, someone on the other team accidentally, like, brush shoulders with him, how much the contact throws him off despite his strength. Like, it's really bizarre watching him off the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely something to keep tracks on, track of as we go on. And um, it, it definitely sucks that he's a high-profile rookie this season of all seasons because this is a season where if you're not awesome, you're going to look really, really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, I think I have a gut feeling that like the first time we get like a Scoot Henderson 24, like five and six game, it's going to start like a streak of like 16, 18, 20 point games from him. Because I think for him, it really is just like once he kind of figures it out, especially if the jumper can just I mean, it doesn't even have to be bad. It just has to be like not worst of all time because <laughs> like yeah. that's where it is yeah. right now. Like if it can just be bad, like all right, we can get somewhere because right now, like as I mentioned earlier with that one possession against Philly, like they're playing drop coverage and he's just like, well, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the other thing that I'd I'd like to see that I think could help him is once Time Lord gets back fully, he's had very few minutes with him and he, they've been like minus 29. So like DeAndre Ayton is a like well-versed, well-rounded big man, but having Time Lord as like a true above-the-rim lob threat, I think would also really help him. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm a little worried that a big part of this timidness and part of this might be the Chauncey Billups factor? Like, is... I don't know, man. It just seems weird that, like... I don't know. Scoot's not running that many pick and rolls when he does run pick and rolls. Like he's not even looking to make anything of it. So it's like, as a coach, why are we running these sets that don't have a purpose? Like, I don't know, man. Like I think Chauncey might, I don't know. He's a great tank commander is what I, which is, I guess what they want. But like, if you're trying to develop They're Scoot, taking the wrong year, They're yeah, taking like, the wrong year. I don't Next know, year's man. Cooper flag. <laughs> like, do we <laughs> No. Oh, Who's oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Cooper flags. Not... Yeah. I don't know, man. This is just strange. Whose seat is hotter right now, Chauncey Billups or um, Taylor Jenkins? Oh, I think it's got to be Chauncey's, right? You know, at least with Taylor, like, no jaw, no Steven. Yeah, and you've seen the proof of concept. Yeah, Yeah, we've seen it with Taylor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeesh. Well, yeah, Patrick, it's only going to get tougher as they trade away their good players. But uh, anyways, well, so three players who are new to the NBA, obviously the three guys we talked about. Another new thing to the NBA this season is the NBA in-season tournament. I know you're super excited about it. Before we go into the in-season tournament, James, I've got one more trivia question for you. There, we've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad, but I think Wemby and Chet really have an opportunity to... Be in the mix for all NBA this year. Can you name the six players since the merger that have made an all NBA team as rookies? You you think Chet has a shot at all NBA this season? I mean, if if he can keep his shooting percentages or there's, actually there's it's, there's there's it's one center there's one it? center no the all NBA teams are positioned still. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, but there's I only one spot because Embiid and Jokic have first and second. It's 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 locked up. 
I, I know Embiid and Jokic, but I think third, third team. team. And then Wemby's not a center. That's true. He's a forward. Man, with the way Bam's playing. All right, we won't get into All-NBA. We're five games into the season. Okay, as rookies. Um, as rookies. It's gotta can be you all, name? It's got to be all older people, so I'm going to throw out like a Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is not on the list. Wow. What about Larry? Larry Bird is the first one you got. Ma- Michael? Jordan? Michael Jordan. That's two. What about Elijah Wan? Same season. Elijah Wan's not on there. Damn. Tim Duncan, for sure. Tim Duncan, number three. That was the most recent one. Shaq? Shaq? Nope. Wow. Okay. Did I already guess Kareem? I'm guessing I guessed Kareem. You didn't guess Kareem, but that's... Um, Pre-merger. Pre-merger. All right. I'm not, so I'm not sure I'm going to get all these. I just know there's, there's no recent three ones. More, there's three more. One I would you could get, and that is um, another Spurs big man. Oh, David Robinson. Okay. One I really know nothing about. Some guy named Phil Ford that was a <laughs> Kansas City King. And then the fifth one, and truly the reason why I asked you this cr- question, is Phoenix Suns legend Walter Davis... He passed away today, and I just wanted to give a huge shout-out to Walter Davis, Sweet D, the Candyman, um, the, the Greyhound. Walter Davis is still the, the franchise leader in points for the Suns. Um, he had an amazing career and, and really one of the best rookie seasons of all time. He averaged 24, 6, and 3. He was obviously the rookie of the year that year. He was an all-star. He made second-team All-NBA and was even fifth in MVP award shares. Um, just like a, a super iconic player in Suns history. I He's... He, Ran into some, um, he was in the, the late 70s, early 80s, and ran into some of those late 70s, early 80s problems that a lot of NBA players ran into those days. But I just wanted to give a big shout out to his friends, his family, to a legend that, honestly, now that he's gone, it's it's going to become even less and less likely that we're going to talk about him. But wanted to give my big Suns fan salute to Walter Davis. Rest in peace. All right, let's get to the NBA in-season tournament. So we have the six groups, six groups of five teams. They're going to be playing their games on Tuesdays and Fridays for the next couple weeks. Then eight of them will advance to the in-season tournament. So Patrick, I think the way we should just do this is pick, choose our winners from each group, choose the wild card from each conference, and then just choose who we think is going to win each conference and who's going to win the whole thing. All right. Let's do it. So uh, uh, do you want to start in the West or the East? Let's start in the East. Let's start in the East. We've talked so much about the West. Okay. So the East Group A is the Sixers, Cavaliers, Pacers, Hawks, Pistons. I have Philadelphia 76ers winning what honestly is a pretty lackluster group especially with Darius Garland continuing to miss time Jared Allen continuing to miss time the Hawks might talk about them a little bit later in this um but I have the 76ers winning the group yeah I do too I do too I I think the Hawks could be super frisky in this group and as well as the the Cavs but there's a real like the Sixers need some some steam Going in, going out of they, this Harden era. They actually, since that Bucks game, have looked great. The Maxi and B two man game and the games that I've watched since then have has looked 
really good. Honestly, just the way they're moving, the way Maxi moves, the way he's getting Embiid to move, it honestly just looks more fun and fluid than Harden and Embiid's two-man game already. I totally agree. Not to mention sixth man of the year, Aura King Kelly Oubre Jr. True. All right. We've just looked incredible for them. So much time talking Sixers and Suns. We might have to ban them from future future discussions for like three weeks after this pod. But so did you have the Sixers as well in the East Group A? I did. I did. I have the Sixers. Who did you have in East Group B? East Group B, I had... The New York Knicks. I, I also this, have the New York Knicks. There we go. Hive mind. So um, I didn't. So let's just say who's in I, that group. It's the Knicks, the Heat, the Bucks, the Wizards, and the Hornets. This is by far the strongest East bracket. Yeah, this is a super strong, strong bracket. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if almost any of these teams won. Um, whoa, the whoa, Bucks whoa, just, whoa, 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 whoa. The Wizards are in this. The Wizards are in this. <laughs> yeah, I, almost almost any of these teams. Um, wouldn't it be crazy if they did though? That, that would, would be, be so. I would. I will. I will buy a Jordan Poole jersey if the Washington Wizards win this this group. But um, yeah, the Bucks just they've kind of been all over the place on defense. I, I think they're really there are some growing pains in this post Bud era of defense and post Drew Holiday and Javon Carter guard rotation of defense. And then the Heat just have not looked great either. And I don't feel like the Heat are going to care. Yeah, as as much as we love Heat culture, um, I chose the Knicks because here's the thing. The Bucks are in a tailspin, right? So their first game in this tournament is against the Knicks. The Knicks are looking, you know, solid. Not world beaters. They just look solid. The Bucks look like a mess. I haven't been able to watch a lot of Bucks games, but box score watching, you know, I'm seeing Giannis 16 points, Dame 14 point type games. Like Giannis didn't quite look right to me offensively in that opener. So I do want to catch up on some Bucks games. I'll probably watch this Knicks game tomorrow and kind of see what does Giannis look like? What does Dame look like? What does the team look like? What's kind of gone on? Obviously, you know, the openers, it, we're a weekend of the half in the season. It's old news, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I also had the Knicks. And our final bracket, um, did you write down who was in this one? For some reason, I just didn't write it down. It's a pretty weak one. Yeah, it's um, Celtics, Nets, Raptors, Bulls, and Magic. Okay, please and tell me you had the Celtics. I've got the Celtics. Oh, my gosh. The Celtics just look – we talked about it last or last episode, but the Celtics just look like absolute world beaters. They've gotten even better. Yeah, no, the Celtics are just breaking the advanced analytics data. I don't know if 538 still does their, like, championship predictions, but I'm pretty sure at this point their model is just, like, breaking apart. Like, the hardware at the 538 offices is just shattering because the Celtics... It's just in fire. The Celtics' point differential is of, like, an 86-0 and team, despite it being an 82-game season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's even worth talking about any further than that. Um, should we go to the West? No, who's your East wildcard? Oh, my East wildcard. Okay, my East wildcard, I've got the... Oh, who do I got? Well, you know who I have? We talked about him earlier. I've got the Atlanta Hawks. There we go. Okay. Uh, winners hey, of I'm three of their last four, if I'm not mistaken. So I figured I don't think the teams are going to take this very seriously. I really, I just don't see it. I don't think the NBA players are going to treat this like the playoffs. And I think we are going to see some of these not as good teams... 
And I think the Hawks, you know, I actually think they're going to beat the Sixers in their group play game. I just think both teams might go four and one in the group play. So I think the Hawks get the wild card. And yeah, so I've got the Hawks. Dude, I could not be more on the other side of this than you. All season, you know, not all these games don't matter, but these players have been Look at LeBron James. Just yesterday, he's playing like 48 minutes into overtime. Kawhi Leonard's playing the first back-to-back. No, I mean, I think I, I, we're here, in high school. I think the teams that do make it will take the playoff games seriously. But I don't I am dubious that these group play games are going to have any sort of enhanced Okay. Chagrin to okay, them. I That's get where it. I'm at. I get it. This is the NBA and I get why you feel this way. But I, I guess I'm just optimistic. I feel like the level of play has been pretty high thus far this season. It's definitely been high, but we're also still in the point of the season where the Spurs are starting Jeremy Sohan at point guard, <laughs> despite everything telling them not to. So it's like the teams that are contending or that will be contending are not playing their, you know, they're not in, they're not in final season form. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, well, I, um, I was kind of stuck between the... Um, the Pacers and the Hawks for this this slot, and uh, I didn't end up choosing, and you just chose for me. I'm I'm all in. Quinn Snyder's my uh, coach of the year pick, so this is he's gonna lead them to the the championship, and he's gonna win coach of the year. So we have the Western Conference now. The Western, sorry, the Western Conference Group A is the Lakers, Suns, Utah Jazz, Portland Trailblazers, and Memphis. We've kind of talked about Memphis being an absolute mess. Obviously, the Trailblazers are an absolute mess. And Utah is also not a very good team. So who do you have winning this between the Lakers and the Suns? Yeah, so it kind of, for me, all came down to that first game, Lakers versus Suns. And I chose the Suns just because it's in Phoenix. The The Lakers won the last matchup, and that's just kind of how it's went with that matchup in recent years. It's kind of a home-and-home home thing. So that's kind of where I landed with that, but um, I, I think the winner of that Suns-Lakers game is going to win this group. Oh, 100%. So I had the Lakers winning this group. Um, but again, honestly, I really wanted to write like Suns-Lakers, and then I wanted the other team to be my wild card pick. No spoilers, yeah. but uh, let's move on to group B. So group B is an actually interesting group. It's probably the best group overall in the entire tournament, in my opinion. It's the Denver Nuggets, the undefeated Dallas Mavericks. Um, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> the wow. LA Clippers, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Houston Rockets. So four actually really strong teams in one division. This is by far the best one um, I picked the Denver Nuggets, and the reason I did wasn't just because they're the Denver Nuggets. It's because the one weakness of the Mavs, it's the bigs. The weakness of the Clippers, it's the bigs. You know, the Pelicans, I'm, I don't know if I love Zion versus Aaron Gordon. You know, I feel like that's one player who could actually give Zion a little bit of problems. Um, so I picked Denver. They're the best team. They have a huge structural advantage over everyone in the group. So I picked the Nuggets. And I think the reason we won't see a wild card is these groups are going to beat each other. Yeah, I, I also picked the Nuggets. And and one reason that I picked the Nuggets was they get to play both Dallas and the Clippers, who I think are the second and third best teams in this group, at home, which is just a lot easier. It's a huge mile high. It's a huge uh, home court advantage. So, I mean, and they're the best team in the league, and they have the best player in the league. And 
that usually helps in tournament format. Yeah, that, that tends to help in basketball. Yeah. Uh, West Group C, I also didn't write down the teams for this one. Um, I had one team that I think is going to run away with it. I've got them right here for you. You've got the Sacramento Kings, the Golden State Warriors, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Victor Wembenyama-led San Antonio Spurs. Patrick, I have the Warriors, and I think the Warriors go undefeated. Really? Why is that? What we've seen with the Warriors for a long time now is when they get started, they get started. Like they had the 24-0 that one year. They're already off to what? 4-1 start here. They look pretty good. Chris Paul coming off the bench looks rejuvenated. I feel like they already proven they own the Kings. They've already beaten them twice. I mean, beating them three times will be kind of tough given that that'll be a pretty long winning streak extending back to the playoffs last year. But I don't know, man. The Warriors are already the best team in that group. I feel like the Warriors, I don't know. I'm excited yeah, about mean, the Warriors do, in this one. I agree with you that the Warriors are the best team in that group, but it is not the team that I think is going to win. I think that the Sacramento Kings are going to win this group. Oh, wow. I think they, first thing, this group has a lot of really great home court advantages. All the A lot of these games are on Friday, so the, it's going to be a real aspect to this tournament i believe and they are going to play the both the warriors and the thunder in sacramento they're gonna have the beam loaded up ready to go i just i think the kings are really gonna take this very very seriously there's a lot on the line for the kings and um yeah i just i i got good good beam vibes but so you honestly you could tell me I have the Kings. You could tell wow, me any okay. of these teams win, and I would believe you. I don't know why I'm like, wow, okay, when I literally said at the beginning of this, like, man, who's going to care? But you know who I think is going to care, and the reason why I really do have the Warriors? I think Chris Paul is going to give a lot of shits about this. Um, Chris all right. will, 100%. <laughs> so who is your Eastern Conference winner? You know, we get through the knockout rounds. I don't really understand how the brackets are going to work yet. So just which team do you think is going to win the Eastern Conference knockout rounds? Boston. Yeah, I also Boston. have Boston. So the who do you ghost have? of Red Auerbach is going to lift. I think they're going to win the whole tournament. I'm showing my cards. So I um, think they're going to win, but I don't have them winning the whole tournament. Ooh. Okay, who do you have winning the West? Well, I have a question before I answer that question. Because I have the West okay. winning. Is there a tournament MVP? I don't know. Well, Patrick, if there were, I'm going to tell you right now who's going to win it. Chris Paul. Oh, I think the Warriors come in. I think Steph Curry just puts the fear of God back into the Celtics like he did in the finals. I know beginning of the year I said the Warriors weren't contenders, but they are bona fide favorites for the in-season tournament. I think they're, I mean, just the team chemistry. You've got the Steph factor. I just think they're hand, like they're just made for this. Hey, a rematch of the 2022 um, NBA Finals. That sounds like amazing television, but you know what? I'm I'm more of a classic kind of guy. You know, you know how I love NBA history, and I think that the West Wild Card is going to go all the way through to the finals. That's right. I think we are going to get a Lakers Celtics <laughs> in season tournament championship where LeBron James will lift the. It, the what is it called the in-season cup 
The first ever in-season cup in triumph over the Boston Celtics. I don't want to pretend any level of analysis is going to be predictive of like how this will go, but my weird prognosis for why I'm I'm pessimistic about the Lakers in this is I feel like LeBron and on his, on his teams have low-key kind of become consistently disappointing in game ones. And this is a tournament is of true. only game ones, which is why I love that, the Warriors. <laughs> the feel out game. I, they the don't need to feel game. anything out. They know each other. Yeah. Also, just the way Jordan Poole has looked and Draymond's comments made me be like, damn, is this team just really going to be that much better just because Jordan Poole's not on the team? Because it kind of feels like that. I can't wait to wear my Jordan Poole jersey at, and cheer on the Wizards in the championship of the in-season tournament. Like That's going to be so much fun. Patrick, Like I'm a known Westbrook hater, if you will, right? Yes. I think yes, Jordan I Poole will. is going to surpass him. Wow. He's wow. just... I have not enjoyed watching him. I feel like every clip out of every Wizards game is him doing something stupid. Um, He's like Gen Z Swaggy P, though. It, but it's like when... It's like when Logan Roy was in the nightclub and he just looked him mm -hmm. in the face and said, you are not serious people. I don't think Jordan Poole is a serious basketball player. No, he's not. It's, it's interesting because we're in this, this era of ring culture and here's this guy who can honestly fill it up on any night and he's already got a ring and now he's got the keys to his own team and he's just like, whatever, I already did it. Who cares? Yeah, I don't know, man. I would not be surprised if he has a career that ends a lot sooner than people think. Oh, yes. I'm with you. There guards you who can score 20 a game on inefficient shooting are a dime a dozen nowadays. Yeah. Yes, I uh, I agree with you. Um, all right. Well, I think we'll we'll see how those predictions uh, shape up. In, I have no idea what to expect for this in-season tournament, but it was made for sickos like me and you. Oh, yeah. Patrick, it is time for the hot streak shooting slump. Basically, if you guys are new, if you had a, we're gonna talk about our weeks, label it as a hot streak or a shooting slump. Hot streak, you had a great week. Shooting slump, you had a bad week. Patrick, hot streak or shooting slump? Shooting slump, man. I'm sick. You see, I'm coughing my lungs out. And then I had to watch Victor Wembenyama rip out my own soul twice in the same week. It's, it's been rough. It's been rough. But you know what? I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to see um, Hosier at the Hollywood Bowl this weekend. Hopefully, if I get better. So so there's uh, there's light on at the end of the tunnel. So potentially a hot streak next week. Potentially a hot streak next week. We'll see if Bradley Beal comes back. What about you, my man? I have had a shooting slump of epic proportions, Patrick. Um, and it all starts, you know, Sunday. My New York Giants are playing the New York Jets. The Battle of New York. I do an NBA podcast, but I'm a diehard New York Giants fan. I have never really missed a game since I started watching them. We are, we're up by three. We miss a field goal. The Jets proceed to go down the field in like... 20 seconds, they complete a pass over the middle, but the clock stops because we're off sides on the play. So we're just handing the Jets the overtime. And the entire feeling you get watching the game is if the Jets force overtime, the Jets are going to win. And the Jets won. Um, the Giants are really bad. We just traded one of our best defensive players. Smart, shrewd cap move, I will say. But 
This is a team that is really, really bad. This is a team that has a history in the last 10 years of we're like, I think we're like bottom five and fewest. We're like bottom five. We have like the fewest wins in the NFL since 2017. We're tied with the Jets since 2018 for fewest wins. Um, yeah, Daniel Jones era has been great. He's an awful quarterback. But the Giants since 2014 have had this habit of starting years like one and seven, two and six, and then rallying to finish like six and ten, five and eleven. And I feel like that's where we're headed with the Giants this year. So I'm bummed out about that. Anyway, moving on to the rest of my week. Monday was a pretty good day. Um, Tuesday. This is a little bit tricky. Um, Tuesday was Halloween. Normally, this is my favorite day of the year. It ended up, I, I would describe it as a top three worst day of my entire life. Um, trying to upload the podcast to YouTube. And every time it processes, YouTube just cuts the video in half. So I'm freaking out. I'm trying to get it out. You know, don't want to metagame podcasting, but everything I've heard about podcasting, Patrick, and I think you've heard the same as we did our research to start this podcast, was like, you cannot miss a day. And yes. uh, we did miss that day on YouTube. So I was kind of stressed out. Two things happened later that day that I will be able to talk about in the future, but I cannot talk about right now. Um... Yeah, I know that is such a buzzkill of a story, but I will say, I, I honestly think Tuesday was probably a bottom three day in my life. But you know, life is 90% of what you make of it, 10% of what happens. I'm really glad this happened to me when I was 28 years old, not 21. Um, there you go. Yeah, I feel like that's such a buzzkill, man. I'm just not, not saying... Well, I guess, Patrick, you can just attest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not the best situation, but you know what? We're still here. We're still moving forward. Just like you said, you know, we we just take it day by day. And I mean, everybody that's listening to this has those days. And uh, just know we're right there with you guys. Yeah. And I will, guys, I will talk about it. Probably, probably not too far off into the future. Just I got to got to check in with a lawyer. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those types of deals. Um, but Patrick, this was a great episode. I really enjoyed this. I'm excited to watch more Wemby. But I think... For the listeners, I think we might ban the Phoenix Suns for like a podcast or two. We might ban, we might ban the Lakers. A little soft ban on the Lakers. Yeah, we will. We'll have to talk about. Uh, we might have to do a little soft ban on the Sixers too. Yeah, we. It's it's been tough. It's been tough. There's been a there's been a lot to uh, talk about with these teams these lately. Teams. But um, say it, comment below who who do you what do you want to hear us talk about? Do you guys have any questions? Um, let us know. Um, we will we will talk about whatever you guys want to hear. You know. Yeah. So we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.